Good morning. My name is Susanna Hobbs, and today we'll be reading from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. It's found on page 816 in your pew Bible. You can find it while we're waiting on kids. Okay, Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they looked to him. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him, to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned them guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they said to him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is this man than the sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other one. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, there's some movement in the room. I love it. Um, Let me just say, if you're visiting with us, we have a wiggle room just outside these doors. Young and old alike, you're welcome to use it. There's a high-tech FM radio in there that broadcasts what's happening in here so you won't miss anything. There's also down the hallway an overflow room that's mask required. There's tables down there as well. Some kids packets in the back, however we can help. I'm really thankful that you guys are with us. I'm eager to jump in this text, but I felt compelled just real quick to just talk about the video that you saw. So we're part of the Southern Baptist denomination, and there's lots of great things about that. There's lots of things that are kind of odd about that, and we just kind of embrace what it means to be part of a family. And one of the things I love most about it is that we get to partner with other churches really around the globe towards mission. So every time anyone gives anything here, 10% of that goes directly to supporting things like church planting, international missions, and training up leaders. But then a couple times a year, we do some special offerings where 100% of that goes directly to those, uh, those initiatives. So Easter is kind of local North American missions, and then at Christmas time, we take a different offering for international missions. So I just want to let you know the that offering goes straight to support the work in like really important areas. There's a give box in the back of the hallway and there's some special Annie Armstrong envelopes. You can also on our line, on the line you can give and there's a drop down tag that just says like Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That's where you could, you could give to there if you want to make a special gift. I would love for us to um, give heavily to support things that are happening outside of our walls, even outside of our community that really, really matter. So I want to Give you that heads up. It's also helpful then just to say, when it comes to giving, I'm really thankful for how we, 
have been giving as a church. We are a really generous church. Actually, our finance team meets today after the service, and like it'll be fun to celebrate where we're at and ask for God to help move us forward. We haven't yet passed the plates on Sunday morning since COVID, and we are going to bring that back after Easter. So that's not because the offerings are down and we're trying to drum it back up, or that's not the strategy there. It's actually really important for us in worship to stop and declare that God is king. And when the plate passes and we uh, put our offerings in there, or we remember our online gift, however that would function for you, in that space what you're doing is you're saying no to the God of this world. You're saying no to the lie of autonomy and materialism. You're saying no and declaring war on the lie that if we just had more stuff, we would be okay. So we declare together in worship, God is king, he provides, everything we have is his. And so I'm eager for us to kind of bring that back into our service. I think we're going to to try after Easter. There's been lots of changes and shifts, and we think that's probably a pretty good time. We're yet to decide if we're going to have like a hand sanitizer chaser that goes after the plate to see if we, if we need that just to keep ourselves safe. But we're aiming that direction again because I want us as a community who hear the voice so loud all week long that if you just had more, if you bought this, if you owned that, if you invested this, if you saved that, if you spent that, if you went into debt for this, then you'd finally be okay. And we actually get a chance to say no to that, to say Christ has our allegiance He's given us resources to advance his mission, and where we're saying out loud that this is what we want our hearts to follow as we give towards the mission of God. So just a heads up with that, love for you to give towards this specific offering, and then thanks for your generosity. So just want to give you that update real quick. Hey, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll dive into this passage. Uh, I'm eager to jump in, uh, and I don't want to rush through a text on rest and Sabbath, but um, would you just take a deep breath with me? Ask God to speak to you. And bring him your, um, your heart, even if it's cluttered and crowded. Would you bring it to him and ask him to speak to you? Jesus, you say that you offer us rest, a deep soul kind of rest. And you've given us this discipline or this pattern or this worship or this way of living that has um, acknowledgement of your lordship and our dependence built into it. And we just say out loud, uh, it's really hard to slow our minds down. It's really hard to slow our bodies down. It's really hard to slow our hearts down. There's an inertia from just a grind all week long, whether that grind is suffering, that grind is grief, that grind is sadness, or, or it's just more and earning and proving and achieving. Whatever that grind is, it has momentum. So would you help us now in this moment, take a deep breath. Would you stop the momentum of those things and give us a heart to see the goodness you have for us and a call to rest. And not just an ideological rest, but a, a functional bodily rest. What must you be like that you say to your people, stop? Let me take care of you. Stop and remember that I'm God. Stop and be still and enjoy who I am. You must be infinite. You must be soul satisfying. You must have enough to provide for us. And I say that out loud because I think maybe it's hard for us to believe sometimes. So would you stir faith in the room? Help us to believe that the God of rest is sufficient for all the places where we feel like we can't slow down and stop. So so help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm just guessing. Maybe not, but I'm guessing when you got up this morning and you stretched out and you thought about coming to church, you probably didn't say to yourself, I hope they talk about Sabbath today. I bet you you thought about, what about anxiety or maybe something from my marriage or maybe something about parenting or maybe just something about hope. Gosh, it's just so exhausting right now. Maybe they'll speak about something like that that would feel really practical. I'm guessing you didn't wake up, just crack your knuckles and pray, pray, pray that we would talk about the Sabbath. And, and I get it. You look at the news, you think about what's in front of you, you think about where we are as a culture, you think about things like exhaustion and burnout and anxiety and the way that's now playing into the ways we've coped with two years of the pandemic that are now bearing fruit when it comes to addiction and it comes to the spaces in our employment and the things that are going on relationally and bodily. There's a lot that you carry. And so there's a lot of things that we could talk about. And here's what actually struck me this week. This is exactly what you need us to talk about because it actually touches on all of those things that you feel. All the war, all the loss, all the grief, all the sadness, all the anxiety, all the suffering, all of those things have this kind of echo or call back to who will save me, who will rescue me, who can I look to for help, what will actually meet my needs, which is exactly what the Sabbath is designed to train our hearts to do. So in a kind of subversive way, I think Jesus actually is going to speak directly to that thing that you brought in this morning that you wish we would talk about. And maybe in a surprising way, hearing stopping your body, stopping your mind, stopping your heart, stopping your schedule, and resting actually answers some of those deeper longings inside your soul. And as soon as we start talking about something like Sabbath, all of us have different experiences. And so let me just remind you where we are in this context so your heart doesn't go towards like shame or duty or one more thing you're failing at. Like your job's not going great, your relationships are suffering, oh yeah, and you're not resting well either. You're not exercising enough, nor are you resting enough. Get your act together. If you're not careful, you might hear some of that. So let me just remind you where we are in context. Last week, we were at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Listen to these sweet words, and they are a word of invitation, not, not duty, not laying on you something heavy. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, whatever the burden is from, whatever it is, come to me, whether it's your fault, whether it's been there for decades, whether something that happened to you, whether it's something you don't understand, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, Jesus says. And in me you will find rest for your souls, not just a surface rest, but a deep kind of soul-satisfying rest. Because my yoke, what it means to follow me, what it means to apprentice under me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the context this passage comes in is this promise Jesus makes to his followers and to all who want to be his followers, come and God will actually give us rest. So wherever your mind goes when it comes to Sabbath, like maybe you go like to grandma's house when you were growing up and it was like a really sad thing. You had to wear gray. There was no sugar. You couldn't watch TV. You couldn't go sledding. All you had to do was read all day and then maybe take a nap, which is like the worst when you're seven. Although when you're 45... Oh, man, it is like such a gift. But when you're seven, I get it. It's like the worst thing ever, right? So maybe you grew up when Sabbath is like, Sabbath is a day that you can't 
and you hate it. Or maybe you hear just law and law and law. Maybe again you hear more things you have to do to make yourself right. Hear this command or this teaching, this scene that Jesus gives us in the context of an invitation. Not more you have to do. Sabbath is an invitation to God's people to recalibrate their hearts and minds around who God is as the creator and around who they are as the creature. Sabbath is a gift from God to recalibrate, to adjust, to refocus, to redial in our hearts and our minds and our bodies around the idea, around the beautiful, glorious reality of the universe that there is a creator who rules the world. And you're not it and don't have to be it. You get to be a creature that's limited, that has a body, that has spaces where they can't do all they long for. Sabbath recalibrates you that God is big and it's okay for you to be small. That God is inexhaustible and you have a ton of needs. That God is the creator and you are the creature. That's what's going on in Sabbath. And it ties into this idea of rest because any attempts we make to find our own identity only add more burden to us. Times that you resist that and you feel it in your body. Times that you say, no, I won't be dependent. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to earn for myself. I'm going to achieve for myself. I'm going to make sure I don't need anybody, let alone God. All of those attempts actually only add more weight, don't they? Isn't, isn't it more burden? Isn't the, the addiction that's aimed at soothing, isn't the lashing out relationally to, to kind of reestablish kind of priorities and who's in charge and who's in control? Don't those things not actually soothe and stop the weight? They just add more to it. So Jesus, the one who came and said he's gentle and lowly, says to us, come, this is an invitation, and it's not a mistake that the next thing that happens is this scene, this struggle between following after God as a burden keeping rules or seeing Jesus as the one who actually gives us this rest. We said last week there's a kind of burden that comes from kind of a religious worldview that says if you just did enough, then God would be pleased with you. And that's actually antagonistic to a gospel worldview that says God has done everything that you needed him to do so that you could fully be satisfied and loved and accepted. But there's something about that religious worldview that fits into our pride it's into our shame, it's what the world tells us all the time, that's up to us, and if we just did more and tried harder, then we would be something, we would prove something, we would accomplish something. And it's into that space that Jesus has these two scenes, and Matthew connects them to the teaching of rest and shows us that, hey, actually in the space of Sabbath, God is after our hearts in really good ways. He's training and he's teaching us. So please hear this as an invitation. Please also hear this as a long process. I don't think any of us in this room rest well. Even our retirees, I bet, feel like there's end of the day where they're like, man, where'd the day go? I didn't accomplish anything I wanted to. I just watched this all day long. Even like the absence of work is not the same as rest, right? So we should make two distinctions. There's a kind of like renewal and hobbies and doing things that you love that you should absolutely take part in. God delights to watch his children play and find joy. But that's different than this recalibrating rest that shifts our heart back to who God is and what he says about us. And so so in those spaces, I don't think any of us are killing this. I know people with young children are getting killed by this. Even our retirees, I don't care where you are in your stage of life, even teenagers in the room, I know you feel like uber, uber busy. And you are, dude, all of it really matters. Can you believe it actually gets more complicated? 
Like your schedule may not be as run down, but actually your life will only get more complicated. So, so this is a good word, a good news for all of us. And what we'll see is there's actually some resistance to the idea of this recalibration. So I want to walk through like, all right, what is the Sabbath's origin? What's going on in the surface here with the drama and the conflict? What is deeper below that conflict and drama? And then how would we make some application? I want to kind of go through those four movements. Because I don't want to assume everybody kind of understands Sabbath. I know I I sure didn't grow up that way. And even now I'm trying to wrap my mind around what's the difference between a day off and actually Sabbath? And should we keep it? And what about all the regulations? So let's just stop and say, okay, what is Sabbath actually about? Look with me in verse 1 and 2. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So he's walking. They weren't like paved roads. It would be common to walk through a grain field. He's not actually like stealing grain. That's not why he's in trouble. The Old Testament law made provision for you while you were walking to grab something along your way. It was part of hospitality. It was part of benevolence. So he's not doing anything wrong to to grab some grain. It says the disciples are hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are religious leaders in the first century, they're the ones who saw themselves as righteous because of what they had done and accomplished. And they were eager, they were zealous, they were really serious about their faith, but they had lost sight of where God was in the middle of that. And they were doing things for God, but their heart was often far from him. So when the Pharisees see this, they say to themselves, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so then Jesus is going to respond to that. So let's just talk for a second. What the heck is the Sabbath? Anyway, let me give you four handholds. One, it's tied to creation. Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation narrative. It's the origin story of where we come from. And whether you think it's poetry or science or history, wherever you are on that scale, what it's aimed at saying to you is you didn't come out of nowhere. God had a design. It's beautiful. He rejoices in the way that he made things. There's order to it. And he created for six days. He creates and then he fills. And on the seventh day, it says that he rested. And it's not that God was tired. So now we have a category of rest. It's not just replenishing so you can work harder. You don't need Jesus for that. Any productivity or creativity or or work-related book about leadership that you would read would tell you, you should take some time off. You'll get more rested. And then you can actually crush it. You can slay it. You can do more. Your mind is sharper. That's not what this is about. God didn't need to pull back because he was overwhelmed. He pulled back simply to enjoy what he had created. There's another passage in the Pentateuch where it says he, he rested and he was refreshed. And that word has in its mind like he took a deep breath and just went, <sighs> he actually enjoyed what he made. But it starts with creation, which says to us that the Sabbath is aimed at actually reminding us that God is the creator. He's the one who actually starts this whole thing. He's the one that actually we have our kind of opportunity to follow and our opportunity to actually love and be engaged with. He's the one who actually starts this whole thing. It's all about him. And we see when we come to commandments in the like uh, the Big Ten, when you see them both in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, we see specific commands to keep the Sabbath. It's one of the Big Ten. It's next to like murder and adultery. So it's like a pretty big deal. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. It's about justice or about your livestock or a sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth 
and the sea is all, and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When we Sabbath, we stop and recalibrate our hearts around the idea that there is a creator. Okay, the second place that shows up in the Ten Commandments is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in that instance, he emphasizes the fact that we are creatures who are dependent. The Sabbath is actually given to God's people as they come out of slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is aimed at telling God's people who the heck they are, where they come from, what's their story. Because 400 years is a really long time. It's longer than our country has existed, right? So we can't even remember kind of our forefathers, forefathers, forefathers. Think about being a slave in an illiterate culture for 400 years. So God is telling his people who they are, and he's constantly reminding them that they're dependent, and that's actually a good thing. He loved them and rescued them. They didn't accomplish anything. They were slaves, and he set them free. So Sabbath is about creation. It's about your identity as well as one who's been loved extravagantly, who's been delivered and set free. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is that other set of 10 commandments, says this. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants. Sounds familiar. Your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servants may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. I want you to Sabbath, first to remember that I'm the creator. Now I want you to Sabbath to remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It reminds you of both your dependence and of God's deliverance. It recalibrates you around your neediness and God's provision. Third third thing, we see in Exodus 16, this commandment or provision that God's going to feed his people every day. They're in the wilderness. There's no way for them to make food or to get food or to harvest food. So he provides this miraculous meal every morning of manna on the ground. It's a kind of cake-like bread kind of a deal. With the dew would come this sustenance. And he says, I'm going to give it to you Six days out of the week. On the seventh day, I won't give it to you. So collect more on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, there won't be any, but you'll have some from yesterday. You can eat and sustain yourself because I don't want you to work on that seventh day. Now, what he's doing in this moment is he's telling slaves who've been working, 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 that there's something about stopping and recalibrating your heart that's so essential. You have to do it regularly, like every seven days. And he says, I want you to experience me providing and meeting your needs every single day. And then on the Sabbath day, I won't put bread on the ground, but I will preserve the bread you got the day before. In that space, God will actually feed you. So the Sabbath is about remembering God's gracious, bountiful provision. Because you could work and do more. You're choosing not to, to stop and say, I'm going to trust God to provide. And in that story, what we see is they really struggle with this. God is uber clear and says, hey, on these days, I want you to just kind of get enough for the day. The first six days, get enough for those days. But they hoard it the first day, and all of it turns to maggots and stuff they didn't eat. So that's, that's a bad deal. So then they say, well, we got enough. We won't gather tomorrow, but that's actually no good because they need food for the next day. It comes down to the sixth day, and God says to them, hey, listen to me. Listen, 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 which I love because it's like we have to constantly be reminded. He says, hey, listen, I want you to gather twice as much just on this one day. 
because there won't be anything the next day. First time, they totally don't do it. They didn't collect enough. He said, hey, I told you, you need to gather on this day. And he's training them almost like a parent. You can see that text like a a parent of a two-year-old. Hey, listen to me. Look at mommy's face. Look at mommy's face. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And then they hear you. They know they heard you. They nod their head. And they go on and do exactly what you asked them not to do. There's consequences. Next week, we're going to try it again. That's what's going on in this moment. He says, hey, I want you on the sixth day to gather twice as much as you need. That will sustain you the next day. They do it. And in that moment, there's this, oh. God is trustworthy. Because as a slave, I feel like I had to take care of myself. As someone who's trying to build their own identity, I've been ingraining to my mind that I had to do more and try harder. And he's saying, no, I actually want to meet your needs. I want to train you regularly to experience my lavish, extravagant provision. And you might go, hey, man, it's not very extravagant. But you get to the point. When you're in the desert, anything is pretty awesome. In that space, he's meeting their needs, but he's training them with provision. And then we should just note this if you're taking notes. The Sabbath is also tied to covenant Exodus 31 would be the place that you'd see that. He says, this is a sign between me and you and your generations that you might know that I'm the Lord your God. I want you to practice this to remind you of my covenant-keeping promises that I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Hey, there's something about the rhythm of this that's super important because it means we don't just hear it once and just say, stop and go, okay. Our faith is like an embodied faith, and it's with our bodies that we practice this kind of rest. And he's training God's people over and over and over again. So, so quick summary, it's about recalibrating our hearts. It reminds us of God's identity as our creator. It reminds us as our identity as one who's actually been made. It actually retrains our hearts out of the autonomy of our culture into actually a space of dependence. It resists the pattern and framework of the world. The world goes from like rest to restlessness. God is saying go from restlessness to rest. It resists that insatiable idea that you should have more, do more when you stop and just say, I won't work today. I'm going to work for six days. On the seventh day, I could do more. My neighbors are going to do more. Everyone around me is doing more. I'm going to resist the pattern of the world and train my heart by stopping so that I can remember he's the creator, remember I'm the creature. I can watch him actually provide for me, right? Resist the pattern of the world. It reassures of God's provision. It's a space for us to stop and just rejoice in what God has done. He looks at creation and takes a deep breath and takes all of that in. Sabbath is meant to be this rejoicing celebration, right? Because Jesus isn't tying up a heavy burden on them. If you've interpreted this command as something that was heavy and wearisome like the Pharisees did, then you've missed the heart of God. Sabbath is actually meant to help us enjoy and rejoice. It's something that actually should bring pleasure to us as we stop and simply receive. It helps us practice restraint, and it actually helps us join God in renewing and restoring the world, which we'll see from this passage. Okay, all of that to say, the Sabbath is about recalibrating our hearts. It turns the volume down on work and hurry and hustle so that we can stop and hear the voice of God. Because remember, we said Sabbath asked the question, who's going to take care of me? What's going to happen to me? And as you answer that question by stopping and resting and receiving, you're changing how you understand who God is. So you should just stop and say, man, where you're struggling to rest, what's the connection with what you think about God? Is he asking you to do more so that you're lovable? Is is he trustworthy to provide for you? Have you been listening to the God of this world in so many ways that you've just acquired more in your life is crazy complicated because you think you have more you need to be satisfied? Sabbath answers the question of of what do you think about God? What What do you think 
that he's like. And that's what this text actually aims to go after. So that's some, some Sabbath background. Real quickly, then what we see is conflict because the Pharisees had shifted their understanding of the Sabbath to something that they should do to earn God's favor. And they could keep real strenuous laws in ways that would make them righteous. Actually, the Old Testament isn't very detailed in what it means to just stop working. So the rabbis of the day in the early um, part of like the first century and the end of BC, I don't know, what would you say that? The, the old first century and the second first century? Thank you, my historian brother. Uh, whatever that space is, in, in Jesus' time, the rabbis had started gathering more laws and adding to what God's word had in place. And actually, scholars would tell you like 39 more laws about what it meant to actually not do work, which one of the reasons why Jesus is in trouble is because even taking that husk of grain and putting it in your thumb like that is actually considered like doing the chaff and actually harvesting. So that's a kind of work, just rubbing that grain in your fingers. So that he's in trouble because not of what God's word had said, but because of their traditions and their regulations. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, but I tell you these things. And he kept not dismissing what God's word was, but actually elevating it to the heart because they had adopted some traditions and made those things actually the essence of the law. It's the same kind of idea. In that space, the controversy here is that the Sabbath is actually about you proving yourself to be lovable. What Jesus says is the Sabbath is actually about God showing that he meets our needs. They're hungry and there's provision. There's somebody who's sick and they actually get healed. There's a story of a sheep that falls into a pit and needs rescue, and they get rescued. That's what the Sabbath was actually about, but they had made it about regulations. They had made it about ways to prove themselves, thinking they would be restored if they were just righteous on their own. So what's going on in this text then is the burden the Pharisees had laid on God's people, Jesus seeks to remove by reminding them of what God is like. Sabbath asks, what is God like? Is he trustworthy? Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to engage the Sabbath, realizing God meets your needs when you're hungry. God actually wants to restore when you're sick. God actually wants to rescue when you've fallen. He is the God who wants to do those things, not find loopholes and laws that would actually hold you back and bind you. Because I wonder, outside of Sabbath, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to money, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to issues with racism, Do you see God's laws as this binding thing that's taking away your freedom? Are those issues that actually are more restrictive and restraining you in ways that actually feel like heavy burdens? And I would submit to you to the degree you see God and God's word that way, you're in the Pharisees' camp. Where you're trying to find in God's word something that would prove yourself to God and to other people, maybe even just to yourself. And in so doing, it's become this crushing, heavy burden. So Jesus reorients what is actually the meaning or the spirit of the Sabbath. Remember, it's about God being creator and us being creature and God providing and us being in a covenant relationship with him. So let's just look at the text in verse 3. He says to them, have you not read that David, when he was hungry, what what he did there? He entered in the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence. This was special kind of worship bread. As men were hungry, they come into God's house and they eat this bread. They weren't supposed to do that, which is not lawful for him to eat for those for the, for that is for those, who, sorry, it is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who are with him, but only for the priest. And yet he doesn't get in trouble for that, Jesus says. David has a need. God meets the need even on the Sabbath. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath and they're guiltless. They actually work and do things in the temple that would be outside these 39 laws, and yet they're seen as guiltless. So there's something more about the spirit of work going on than the minutiae of it. He says, I tell you, 
something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what that means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want to lift your burdens, not add more to you, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying it's about me. Verse 9, he went on from there and entered in the synagogue, and the man was there with a withered hand. And he asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They, they asked him this question, and they asked that they might accuse him. Total side note, be careful of why you're asking questions about who God is and what he does. If you're asking to accuse him, you will find the answer that will harden your heart and distance you from him. It's not a question of, is there hope? Could you actually help me rest? They're trying to trick and trap him. Do the questions of your heart come seeking after help? Or do they come from this self-righteous place because you have calibrated your heart to autonomy? You've calibrated your heart to your own dependence. You've calibrated your heart to your own self-reliance. You've calibrated your heart to taking care of yourself. And so you ask questions of God and make him prove himself to you. Rather than asking, would you help me understand what's going on in this space? So they ask a trick, trap, question. Here's a guy with a withered hand. Let's see what you're going to do. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus, unsurprisingly, says, absolutely. Heck, yeah. If, if a sheep had fallen into a pit on the Sabbath, you would get it out. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That is the whole point. God is the creator. We are the creature. He provides for us. And we're in this covenant, beautiful relationship. That is what the Sabbath is training our hearts to understand. So it's answering their question about who is God. As Jesus is revealing what God is actually like. And he's battling against their preconceived ideas of their own self-righteousness. Where they had taken God's law and they had twisted and they had distorted it. So he tells the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretches it out and he is restored it's healthy like the other ones. But the Pharisees, they go out of the space and they conspire against him to destroy or kill him. Okay, that verse should kind of surprise you. This is just like a religious debate about who's right about Sabbath. That seems fairly extreme. So actually that verse cues for us there's something deeper going on under the surface. It's not just the rules and regulations. You don't actually ask rules and regulation questions. You ask identity questions. You ask value and worth questions. You ask significance and belonging questions, and you try to answer them with rules and regulations. They're asking, where is God? Who is God? Who are you, Jesus? And as he says, oh, I came to flip this whole thing upside down. I came to actually provide the rest that God wanted to give you. And he says in these spaces things about himself that outrage them and they want to kill him because of blasphemy. We'll see that in the next section. They begin to move on a campaign of taking Jesus out because he's blaspheming, they say. He's actually claiming to be God. So as we read through these verses real fast, maybe you missed there's something deeper going on. They understand it to be a claim of deity. And here's where you might notice it. When he tells any random story he wants to, he chooses one about King David. And in that moment, Jesus is saying at the deeper level, below the surface, at the source place, I am the righteous king. He tells a story about priests who go into the temple. And on the surface, it's just a random story, but he's actually saying something much deeper. He's saying, I am the way that you get to God. He says, actually, in verse 6, I tell you something, there's something greater than the temple that is here. I'm telling you about what this story of what happened in the temple and what the priests do, but can you just cue into the fact that what's standing in front of you is actually where God came to dwell with his people. 
Jesus actually is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the great priest. And he says in verse 8, just so we don't miss it, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Who gives Sabbath commands? Who's the one the Sabbath is all about? It's about the Father. It's about the Creator. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming to be king. He's claiming to be priest. He's claiming to be Lord. He's claiming to be God. Which to the weary and those who are exhausted here, he's claiming to be the one who could satisfy the longings of your heart and give you rest. What this whole thing was pointing to, to those who insist on justifying themselves and finding ways to make themselves right, to soothe their own sin, to actually atone for their own mistakes. Jesus comes as a threat. He comes to actually expose that system. There's something deeper in this text that the Sabbath actually has But remember, the Sabbath is about how you see God, how you see who's going to take care of you. And Jesus in this moment to declare himself to be God is reaffirming what he said in chapter 11, that he's the one who could say to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. And so it's not about how many hours of the Sabbath you were off of your phone. It's not about whether or not you checked your email on Sunday afternoon. It's not about the regulations that you might impose on yourself. It's about a heart that is recalibrated to Jesus as your treasure. But we're not just like disembodied souls. We're not just minds on sticks. We're actually embodied creatures. So God trains us like he trained his people through our bodies with these habits and rhythms to constantly help us to recalibrate. Because regardless of how deep your faith is, you struggle to believe Jesus is sufficient. I I do. Man, if you looked at my calendar, you would see places where I believe a lie that I have to do more to keep myself safe, my family safe, our church safe. To provide, it's actually on my shoulders. In a bodily way, I struggle to believe that God is the creator. I'm the creature with limits, that he actually wants to provide, and we're in this relationship with him because of what he's done. I actually think it's about my earning and striving. We're in ministry planning time right now, and God is graciously working me over to go, hey, man, this is not about you or your plans. And it's actually a really, really good, comforting, even though maddening and disorienting experience because everything inside of me wants to prove myself, wants to earn love. That's been the way it's been my whole life outside of Jesus. So, of course, the momentum of that carries me into my relationship with Jesus, And that's not just pastoral confession time. That is human invitation to say, hey, I wonder if that's why you feel so heavy. I wonder if the burdens are rooted in you trying to prove and justify and earn. What God offers us in the Sabbath is a regular, repeated, bodily way to recalibrate our hearts. Where you technically could do more. And if you did more, you would get ahead. You would actually crush through your inbox. You'd start Monday in a great space. You would get ahead of your coworkers. You could actually prove yourself in that presentation. And you're choosing to stop. Remember, you have limits by design. And actually engage with God to provide for you. Which would like, like the people of the Old Testament, like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I should gather twice as much on this day. Or maybe I should just sneak a little bit more. There's actually a story of a guy who, after he gets instructions about the Sabbath, and God says, hey, don't gather firewood or make a fire. The dude goes out and gathers sticks, and God kills him. And you go like, wait, I thought you said loving, lift the burden. Oh, totally. This man had said, I won't trust God. 
Battles of his heart were like, hey, just, just a little bit more will get me what I need. In that moment, it was rank idolatry. Actually, the scripture called it like a high-handed sin. And you're like, he's just gathering sticks. No, no, what he's saying with his heart is, I refuse to trust you, which is what's required for salvation. The Sabbath actually trains us over and over again to recalibrate our hearts to God as our creator, us as the creature, him as the one who provides and that we're in this covenant relationship with him because of his grace and his mercy. And Jesus is just showing us that we wonder, is God trustworthy? Is he good? Is he more like a tyrant? Is he like the slave master? Is he like these religious leaders? Oh, no, no, he keeps blowing up all those categories. He keeps uh, helping the hungry. He keeps welcoming those who are sick. He keeps helping those who have fallen. That's the kind of God who invites you to trust him with your life through the patterns of the Sabbath. I don't know what's going through your mind. Can I try like a couple of minutes? Let me give you a couple minutes of application. Pay attention to your newsletter this week, which will have such rich nuggets of practical wisdom and advice in there that you don't want to miss it. Can I just say this? Hey, start where you are. Jesus invites you wherever you are to come to him. So just start where you are. If an hour on a Saturday is all you can do right now, do that in that moment to stop your heart cease from providing for yourself welcome his provision for you we're in this thing for the long haul we're talking about decades that we want to work together and be shaped together in the image of christ just simply start where you are remember he's not putting a burden on you he's trying to lift it he's welcoming to something beautiful but but stop and start wherever you are realize also that your heart's always being calibrated to something so this is not a neutral deal. It's like either you're going to be recalibrated to God or to something like a... No, it actually, it's always being recalibrated. Your heart is always being formed into the image of something. So if you don't stop and let it be recalibrated around the promises of God, it will be recalibrated around the promises of our world, which you know want to sell you, use you, drive things at you, take from you, deplete you. That's what our world is aimed after. Just remember you're always being recalibrated to something which motivates us to stop and be recalibrated to this loving God. Cultivate delight in this moment. It's not just something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's not just escaping. We're not just getting away from work and numbing ourselves out. We're stopping and saying God is beautiful. So time in his word, time in prayer, time sleeping. I read in the Psalms that God gives sleep to those he loves. God's the kind of God who wants his people to rest. You're actually cultivating delight. Hey, stop and pay attention to what gives you the most stress and anxiety, where you feel the most overwhelmed and overextended. Name that and then stop that for a little bit. What's the thing that's freaking you out that you feel overwhelmed by? What if you could discipline yourself even just for two hours to stop whatever that thing is that's haunting you? Stop and let your body recalibrate. Let your heart be engaged in God's provision. He promises you this deep, deep, deep soul rest right remember it's about your hearts not your kind of rule regulations but we're embodied creatures so stopping your body is huge think about margin if you're married with kids help each other out tag team this thing hey i got them for 90 minutes you go do whatever you need to do and then switch and when they come back don't say how was it can you prove that it was worth it did you rest amazingly did you justify yourself to the way that you rested just say man i hope you had a good time can i now get 90 minutes when I was early on in our marriage, I would try to give Adrian some time, but she felt the pressure to come back and report that it was worth my benevolent allowance of her being out of the house for a little bit. 
I hope it didn't actually feel that way, but that's kind of the way it got reported. It was pretty gnarly there for this moment. And so actually to stop and say, no, I'm just going to be with Jesus. And it might just be really mundane, but I get to be with Jesus, and that recalibrates my heart, which is really, really beautiful. It's okay for you to struggle with this. Again, we're taking a really, really, really long view. I'll put some stuff in the newsletter because I think it really, really matters for us. But what I wanted to do this morning was root you in why the Sabbath mattered before we talked about what we would do in the Sabbath so we don't get upside down with our hearts. Because I want to commend the Sabbath to you. But more than that, I want to commend the Lord of the Sabbath to you. Jesus says he provides rest and he provides it in himself. So take a deep breath. We'll stop now and make some application and we'll start with communion, which is showing us how God purchased this rest for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're here. Zero pressure on you right now in this moment. All you need to do is just pray and ask God to speak to you. Ask him to validate if this stuff is real. Help him to kind of show you if he actually is who he promised to be. Just stay in your seat. Zero pressure on you. Those who are followers of Jesus, no pressure on you. You get to stand up and come and take communion and remember together that Christ died for me. He shed his blood for me. But we take communion as we tear a piece of the, nope, we don't tear it off. It's already cut for you because of COVID. There's little cubes of bread. You'll grab that. You'll dip it in the cup. The person will say, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And they'll say, this is his blood shed for your life. And here in that rest, here nourishment and provision. There's a gluten-free station over here to my right your left. There's also some individual cups if that's more um, comfortable for you. You're welcome to do that. So come to the Lord of the Sabbath and receive his rest as we kind of take communion and then we'll worship together and we'll go. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you've done. Thanks for what you're like. As we move now to just stopping our hearts and asking you to make application, would you do something inside of us that matches this text and shows you to be different than we thought you were? You're better than we thought you were. You didn't come to bind us up. You didn't come to give us more rules. You came to set us free. Would you do that work now in this moment? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're following Christ, come take communion, and then we'll sing together.